Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. I'm Kurt from the UK. I'm George from Austria. Sadly, Bia couldn't be here today. Hopefully, she will be back by the next episode. But till then, you're listening to Two Euros Per Movie. In this episode, we'll be talking all Evil Dead. One, with the original from 1981, to the remake in 2013, to the sequel this year, Evil Dead Rise. Starting with The Evil Dead from 1981. You're the horror guy in, in our rounds here. Uh, yeah, I suppose I am, yeah. <laughs> How did you initially get to know the Evil Dead franchise? Well, okay, so it's actually kind of a weird backwards window how I got into horror in general. So it's funny that like I'm the horror guy when this is kind of the reason. The Evil Dead films, Scream and The Thing, those are what got me into horror. But I found these films because when I was a kid, I really loved the Raimi trilogy Spider-Man films. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge fan of them. So when I was starting to get into films a bit more, I wanted to explore the films that I already liked, found the people that created them, and then, you know, explored their filmographies. So I immediately went to Sam Raimi, and I just so happened to stumble across the first Evil Dead film, because I wanted to go completely in order. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first Evil Dead film didn't capture me too much. I thought it was cool, but it didn't get me. But then I hit Evil Dead 2, and then it just kind of clicked for me. I was like, ah, oh, this is my shit. This is sick. So, yeah, I, was, I became a massive fan of Evil Dead from then. Yeah, me personally, I, uh, as we spoke about a little before, I was never really that much into horror. However, when I tried to dabble my feet into it a bit, The Evil Dead was definitely one of the first things I also explored. It was, again, uh, due to the the relation with Sam Raimi and seeing what he did before the super stylized Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah. I didn't expect this at all. I, I was, before watching this the first time, I was absolutely not aware that this was gonna be a super low-budget kind of comedic for the wrong reasons movie, <laughs> you know, where it's, where it's yeah, not always, yeah. uh, the comedy isn't always intended. And I heard about Evil Dead being horror comedy, but the first one really accidentally became that if to a certain degree. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, just just as you said, uh, Evil Dead Two blew me away. Sadly, uh, today we're not gonna talk about my two favorite two favorite movies in this whole yep, franchise. Me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> me too. That's a little ironic, but like from a historic standpoint, it just makes sense looking back at this piece of where it all started with just this group of friends, basically with a zero budget, going into the woods and. Over the course of I think several several years filming this with ever changing people around the set and people like Sam Raimi uh, standing in for over the shoulder shots when an actor wasn't there and they just needed their back so 
Sam Raimi would dress up with the costume and all of that. Yeah, the, um, and his brother too, right? Ted Raimi was yeah, he was, was in there a lot as well as like hands and stuff. Yeah, yeah, his foot is in there, I, feel, I believe. Like he was laying <laughs> on the ground once, and like as as like the stand-in for a dead person, which couldn't be around anymore, but his face was covered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I know that Sam Raimi was twenty when he started filming this. Or at least when he started making it. And he was 22 when it released. Mm -hmm. So, which is weird. Because I'm 22. (laughs) So, like, it might, you know, it makes me feel so weirdly insignificant. That, like, this man had already created something that would set the seeds, really, for one of the greatest franchises of all time. You know, and that is, I've done nothing with my life that could even compare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at the point where you reach 25 years, you kind of have to give, give up on comparing yourself to young aspiring directors. You know, a lot of my favorite movies were made by people before they were 25 years old. Um, there's like <laughs> Xavier Dolan in Canada who made his fourth movie with 24 and his third and fourth movie Lawrence anyways and mommy are both like some of my favorite movies boogie nights was done by paul thomas anderson when he was 24 that's like yeah um <laughs> i'm past that <laughs> i mean yeah, like but then on the same the same pattern you know i feel like to even try and compare yourself to someone like sam raimi who is such an author like when when people say the word auteur and they just throw it out, you know, there's there's a few certain people that I feel like really embolize that word. Mm-hmm. People like Guillermo del Toro. And I feel like Sam Raimi is just one of them. Uh, Everything that he has ever created, you know, from his own mind has been painfully unique. Mm-hmm. I... Feel like he didn't quite succeed when it got to the point of him trying to put his stamp onto the MCU with like Doctor Strange. I yeah, I enjoyed it as a Sam Raimi fan because it had a lot of Sam Raimi madness in it, but it he could still couldn't you you couldn't really look at that movie and say yeah that's. <laughs> some some true work by an author there, you know. I get that, but yeah. also we gotta take into account the the creative freedom. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. You know, sure. When he gets to make something that's completely him, you know, like the Evil Dead Two or Dark Man, something like that, drag me to hell. Even you know the first two Spider Man films, he was given pretty much free reign. And it's, it, you know, he most of the time creates something incredible. But then once, you know, studio interference and stuff happens, Spider-Man 3 happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, or when he joins something like the MCU where everything is very strict and there's not as much freedom to do what you like because there's an agenda, you know, all these characters have to do certain things. They have to get to a certain place for a certain future um, event he can't do as much. So when you're watching, you know, Multiverse of Madness, you see where he was allowed to do what he wanted to do 
and then where he was just limited by what he could do. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at just the scene where, uh, I guess, slight spoilers for Multiverse of Madness, but the scene where Scarlet Witch invades the temple yeah. and she comes through <laughs> the gong, that whole sequence is great. 10 out of 10. That was fantastic. It's, an, it's, a, it's a fucking insane sequence. I really, really like it. And yeah, I just, I just, I think when he's given creative license, he's fantastic. And I think back to the actual topic, this original The Evil Dead is a brilliant example of that. Because even though I don't think this film is particularly incredible, Mm -hmm. I think it is incredible for what it is. For sure. It's incredible looking back at it now in particular the way you can already see all his stylizations, all his little quirks, it's all there already. It's not as refined yet, it's obviously not on the, to the same technical standards and anything like that. The acting isn't fantastic and there's problems with even the story just... Uh, but it's still, it's all there. All the unique little tricks, the, the weird camera angles, the awkward you know, shaky cam that they did with, like, the camera mounted to a board. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all really unique and refreshing to look at. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's easy to take this film for granted as well because we have the other ones. Like, mm-hmm. we know where... I, do, I have a note that basically just says that this film is pretty much a proof-of-concept piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, everything that he does in this film, he goes on to do better in another film. So it's easy to look back at this one and go, do you know what? It's not that great. Because every technique that he uses, he goes on to use much better. Also, also, I think, again, it's one of those situations where the initial Evil Dead is just one of that influential genre movies where just over the time, we have seen so many films make all of this into tropes. You know, to a certain degree, yeah. it was already tropes that Raimi was using he didn't invent a lot of these things like from a story side of things but he played with them and the movie got super big and he helped make it into tropes therefore so looking back at it now it really it's it's misguiding how usual the story might seem yeah I feel like time has done this film no justice you know, if you can put your your mind into the time frame of when it first came out, for one, and then also put your mind in the in in the in the set that this was a twenty to twenty two year old with his friends on a super low budget, you know, just picking a location in the middle of the woods, doing something, you know, it like, I again, I'm twenty two. I could not pull my friends together, go into the woods and film something anywhere near this great. Even I could have twice the budget of this film and get nowhere, nowhere close to it. You know, I feel like it needs to be given credit for what it is mm-hmm. rather than what it isn't. And what it isn't is Evil Dead 2. Yeah. What it is, however, is a clear showcase of his understanding of filmmaking, you know. There's some great visual storytelling in this in the 
opening sequence where they first cross the bridge and arrive at the cabin, you have a really long um, one take, basically, even though it's not from a technical side an important or an impressive long take, it's just the camera mounted on top of the car, but it tells a clear story. We have been driving for quite a while, and this is the only building this road is leading up to and this is also the only road leaving from this building and we have seen that in one long sequence that's some fantastic visual storytelling right there and a clear understanding of filmmaking techniques well yeah this is the thing as well like i was having this conversation with someone called rollo tony on twitter he's a he's a film twitter talker whatever <laughs> And he, he was just saying that, like, people are always trying to be the new Nolan, whereas, you know, people should try and be this new. And I can't remember which filmmaker he said, but I remember replying to it saying, it's insane to me that nobody's trying to be the new Raimi, because nobody seems to want to have fun with the camera. You know, no one wants to do something that hasn't been done with the camera. Like, in, in this first film, the camera is pretty much the villain mm -hmm. you know it, it constantly plays the part of the antagonist throughout the film even all the way to the ending you know where it finally gets ash in the very last moments mm -hmm. and that's such like a oddly inventive thing because i'm obviously he didn't invent that but to the extent that he had done it i think was pretty inventive especially for his age again Again, and um, budget, just like the the way they did the visual storytelling of those uh, taking on the, the bad ghost character POV, I guess, um, where they literally just mounted the camera on the middle of a board, a long wooden board, and two people would hold the ends of that and just run along. And due to like the bigger lever, the motion would somewhat stabilize but still have that rocking motion it's super cheap they can do moves like fly over a bush real close to the ground and it's super inventive and super creative diy filmmaking basically yeah and you know there's some absolutely insane shots in this film that in any other case would come off amateurish you know, that it, it would feel like whoever did it didn't really know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, when Sam Raimi does it, everything feels so with purpose. Yeah, when, you know, like, when he does a really over-the-top angle or something, it almost feels like the perfect moment for it, as if like a joke that had been building up, and now here's the point, you know? And... This this really feels like it with a lot of what he does with the editing and the shots leading up to each other. And then you have a super crazy um, Ash looking into the camera and saving Groovy. <laughs> <You> know, <it's> <laughs> <laughs> He's amazing at that stuff. And also, genuinely, in horror, even in this film, at moments, he can build the sense of unease incredibly well. Like... Mm -hmm. The the, there's like that steering wheel jolt at the beginning of the film when they're driving and it's like 
it's not even a major moment. It's just like a little flicker of nothing. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you get like the, the bench rocking, but then just suddenly stopping. Yeah. You know, and it's not like a big, whoa. It's just like a thing that just happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's random eerie musical cues that just lead up to nothing. And I just feel like he knows how to build suspense because I think he realizes that to build suspense for something, it doesn't need to happen only when the scary thing is happening. You know, he he likes to establish a sense of unease throughout. He starts off with making you feel uncomfortable. He starts out with just throwing things out there that throw off the viewer, that make you instantly suspenseful, even though nothing scary is going to happen yet. You know, and I I feel like it's incredible foresight on his behalf, because obviously you want to make something creepy, you know, if it's a scary movie or whatever. But it's Mm -hmm. not... Say The Conjuring, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever actually seen The Conjuring, but... I still haven't, actually. Obviously, you know it's set in, like, a house, right? That's haunted. Mm -hmm. And when they show up to the house, there's creepy shots of the house, because the house just kind of looks creepy. And then when they're in the house, you know, there's shots of things that are creepy within the house. But it's not trying to, like, make you uneasy. It's just trying to establish that the house is creepy. That's all. You know, the the actual filmmaking Mm. behind it is normal. It's just the set that's given you that sense of unease. Whereas Sam Raimi is trying to make things uneasy that aren't even really that uneasy. He's just trying to inject it in the filmmaking before you get to the bullshit. And I think it's very admirable. For sure, for sure. He really has a way with putting his own stamp on it and um, presenting you with imagery that you haven't seen before. Just just the slightly being off. Yeah. I think that does a lot of the tone. Um, and also, I, I love the idea, because the Book of the Dead is, like, such... A, one, it's a great concept. Obviously, you know, it's not his concept. But just the idea of how that evolves throughout the movies, like, because here it has, like, a different presence. The Book of the Dead in this first film, like, kind of just invites paranormal activity. You know, it hasn't even been read yet. Mm-hmm. But just everything around the book, like how the bench stops rocking. It's like, nothing's happened yet. You know, no one's read from the book. There shouldn't be any strange happenings yet. But it's just around the book. So it makes everything feel off, wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, again, that goes straight to the his ability to build unease even when nothing is uneasy. It's just the the book itself invites suspense and invites odd happenings even though nothing has been read, you know, no one's activated the deadites or anything. Yeah, it's already just its existence and its presence around it already influences the surroundings to a degree. And the book evolves massively. Like, when it's super weird. If you watch all these films and then go back and watch the original one, 
the way the book looks is completely different. You know, like the details on it, the cover's different. The style, the drawings, all of it mm-hmm. is just different. And it's smaller. You know, it's the size of like a little handbook. Whereas, you know, as the movies get along, the, the Book of the Dead becomes like a big, <laughs> big pamphlet thing. It's massive. Sequels gotta get bigger, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like, but again, this is one of those things where it, like, it, it buries the seed for better ideas later on. Like the, the whole concept of the Book of the Dead, which I did, I, I did write down like exactly where he got that from. Yeah, it's, a, it's from an actual religion something. I wish I wrote it down. Yeah, right. So, no, right. So this is, um, I did write it down. So obviously, I've always known that Sam Raimi was like a huge lover of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And um, H.P. Lovecraft had written about the Book of the Dead before because he had gotten it from, you know, its original state of whatever religion it came from. And he just liked the ideas that H.P. Lovecraft was playing around with. So he wanted to combine kind of b-movie horror and hp lovecraftian monsters Mm -hmm. using the book of the dead the film was originally titled book of the dead as well which i think is super fascinating yeah the producers uh (laughs) one of the producers just said yeah drop the book of the dead the people are gonna think they're gonna have to read for 90 minutes straight make it the evil dead and Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi thought it was the dumbest thing ever, and but just went along with it. <laughs> I'll be like, honestly, I'm with him. I'm with the producer. I feel like The Evil Dead is such a great yeah, title. It, it turned out great. <laughs> yeah, it's striking. But then I'm against the producers when we've mentioned this before, but when they changed Army of Darkness from Medieval Dead. Yeah. <laughs> so they did a good, but then they did a bad. And mm-hmm. I'm- mm-hmm. So I've got mixed feelings with these producers. <laughs> but, you know, I just... I feel like the evolution of everything is the most interesting part about this film. I don't think the film, you know, has much of a stay as it is. It is what it is, and it's fine, but just seeing where everything would eventually go to is my most favourite part of the film. Like Ash, for example. Mm-hmm. Ash is a different guy. In these films. He's he's like he's not into the killing at first. Yeah, he's you know holding he's back not mm. this big, dumb, handsome idiot. Like he, he would become, you know, like those are his like big traits mm-hmm. later on. You know, when you think Ash, those are the things you think about. But in this film he's kind of sweet and and shy, which just aren't you know, Ash traits at all which i think is super interesting also the acting is not great (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not great at all even bruce campbell who i think is one of the most charismatic actors of all time and i think he went on to do very very great work every performance in this film is booty it's not good and i feel like that is what lends itself to the the horror comedy this time around just the acting's not great, so a lot of the line deliveries are super awful and funny. Yeah, um, Bruce Campbell is very self-aware about this. Uh, on the commentary track, he talked about, well, he, at several points, 
made like announcements and now a fantastic performance from and then one of them would say some super dumb line delivery (laughs) 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 yeah it's it's absolutely awful also like again with the evolution of everything the mythos of the book doesn't quite exist yet Mm -hmm. you know like the book goes on to have this like long legacy you know, yeah, and dating back to medieval times. <laughs> yeah, and and this in this film, it just it's just kind of like a thing, mm-hmm. you know. They they kind of just find it, but you know, it it's fine, it works, and it services the story fine. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, it's just such a different book. It even burns in this one. You know, mm-hmm. that's how they they eventually defeat it, right? Ash burns it, which. They make a point in the later films that you just can't burn it. You know, it's not as simple as just burning the book. And also, like, once he has burned the book, the way the Deadites die is fucking batshit insane. And I'm actually kind of upset that they never brought that back around. (laughs) The way they just kind of, like, disintegrate and then turn into, like, bugs. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it's such such a, uh, like, David Cronenberg way of dealing with kind of like undead enemies. And I, I feel like that should have been done more. The Deadites in general are really different as well. Like in this film, they're much more into like the torment and shenanigans rather than actually just killing. Like in the later films, you know, the, the Deadites are very much, we want to kill you. That's That's like their whole thing. But in this film, they're more about just, you know, fucking around with people and... <laughs> and tormenting them a little bit and it they're much more into the torture even on a more literal level of the dead-eyed uh, they are different because in 1980 when they filmed this uh, there weren't really the fake contact lenses eyes around yet uh, it was just slightly before they really became a thing and the things that they used would be like encapsulating almost like the whole eye not just the iris and the pupil you know so the actress had only 15 minutes of time to wear them before they had to get out or the eyes could take damage from not having air to breathe basically (laughs) it was super fucked up and at a certain point in the movie um when she's like down in the cellar looking up um, she didn't want to wear those eye things anymore, so they just started with the mask completely and then put the fake eyes onto the mask to make the filming easy for, easier for her. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just... How this film turned out, how it did, is just kind of insane. Like, it has such such weird... I feel like the behind the scenes of this film is honestly more impressive than the actual film. Oh, like, yeah. Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers helped edit this film. Yeah, and Sam That's Raimi That's so even... random. No, they, they are really good um, friends. I think they were in film school. No, no, they weren't in film school together. But they were friends from a young age. And in some of the first Cohen Brothers movies, there are also credits of Sam Raimi being uh, the second unit director. So... Yeah. I mean, uh, I wish I had wrote this down, but I, I remember... Um, Joel Cohen taking something from this film 
like an idea that Sam Raimi had that would then go and help him make his first film. Interesting. But I can't remember quite exactly what it was. But yeah, it was like a technique or an idea or something that um, inspired him to go and make his first film. Mm -hmm. Speaking of relations to other filmmakers, are you aware of the whole Wes Craven, Sam Raimi um, running joke? Well, kind of, but not really. Okay, I'll, I'll just get into it. Go on, yeah, go on. <laughs> um, so it, it, to, to really start this, we kind of got to move back a few more years before the first Evil Dead movie, when Wes Craven released The Hills Have Eyes. He had yeah. a ripped up poster of Jaws somewhere in the background of a scene to kind of poke fun at the idea that oh, you thought Jaws was this, the most insane and the most scary movie of all time. Right, yeah. You haven't seen us yet. So in the first Evil Dead, in the basement, Sam Raimi thought it would be funny to have a ripped up Hills Have Eyes poster. And, yeah, I, yeah, I've always noticed that, yeah. And out of this uh, actually started a long-running um, inside joke thing between Wes Craven and Sam Raimi released movies where... In The Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy tries to stay awake by watching The Evil Dead and then falls asleep several times. So he's like, again, poking <laughs> at him. In Evil Dead 2, you have Freddy Krueger's glove hanging in the background and Bruce Campbell decides for other weapons because they are stronger. Um, <laughs> and this, this <laughs> has gone on up until I think Ash versus Evil Dead had, had like a tribute to the already died Craven with the glove and... The ripped up both the both being there for our last time. I love, but I mean, anyone that knows me knows I love both of these filmmakers like mm -hmm. intensely. And from what I know, from just their films, really, you don't even have to read interviews or listen to commentaries. You can tell just from their films that they're they're very playful people, both of them. Oh yeah, you know, and they're they're very self aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so I had heard of this before, and I remember people like calling it like a feud, and it's just never felt like a feud. You know, it, it does feel like them just playing with each other, you know, tipping their hat to each other. Because obviously when The Evil Dead came out, that's what horror was kind of doing. Mm -hmm. It was all trying to one-up each other, you know, in, in what they could do. And I do have a note about this happening, actually with someone um oh it was john carpenter actually when he was making the fog david cronenberg had just released videodrome i think it was and you know he he, he remembers watching it thinking shit you know cronenberg's just upped the level yeah <laughs> and he he went back into his film and reshot some scenes um of people getting killed just so he can at least be on the same level yeah on the same level <laughs> he, he, it, it's too past the point to be above at this point but he just wanted to be on the same level mm -hmm. and horror was really about that in the time and this film the fact that it even did what it did is crazy i mean it got banned in a bunch of countries oh yeah you know, which which is insane when you look back on it because you're like why 
I mean, you know, the tree scene, probably, let's face it. The, the, the tree, tree scene, scene definitely. is pretty insane. <laughs> like, still, to this day, I feel like that scene, if you watch it on a big screen and immerse yourself, god damn, that scene can fuck you up still. Like, that's probably the reason, out of a shock value side, yeah, it's complete that this shock movie value. got this big, you know? It's probably I mean, a good I, you chunk know... of the reason. I've written down that the tree assault scene was by all measures unnecessary, <laughs> but um, oh, Raimi himself I is... I, I think it's kind of great. <laughs> wow, that, that is a hot take. As someone within the horror community, I'm very aware that's a hot take. Pretty much everyone that I know that you know knows this film has pretty much said, yeah, that didn't need to be there. I mean, for the time, I understand why it was, because everyone was trying to up the ante of sexual violence and all that kind of stuff. But I know Raimi himself has stated his regrets about that scene. And he says, you know, retrospectively, I wouldn't put that into a film now. But obviously, at the time, with everyone trying to up the ante. And, you know, when your opponents are John Carpenter and Wes Craven mm -hmm. and David Cronenberg, you got to pull some extreme shit. You know, to be on par. So I understand where it's come from. Yeah, and I, when I say that, then I'm I'm definitely meaning within the context of this is probably a reason Sam Raimi be ever became a thing, you know? And he manages to do that scene without getting really too graphical or anything yeah. with it. You know, it's just the the idea of it is what's really extreme. But I feel like if you want to make a scene like that, then that's kind of very tastefully done. <laughs> if you want to use a word like that, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, this This is the thing. Like, it's... It kind of... And although I am on the side of it doesn't need to be there, it does also kind of display how great he is at horror. You know, not mm -hmm. just comedy horror, but genuine horror. Because it's so visceral and graphic without really being that you know like it it makes you really fucking uncomfortable mm -hmm. and he just does that with the ideas and the way he moves the camera and the cinematography you know he doesn't have to actually show anything there's no explicit gore or anything happening it's just the idea and how he's filming that idea so, although, yeah, I think it's a bit extreme and it doesn't need to be there, he does it really well. So I guess I can drop a few more, like, trivial things. First of all, the, the actual house in which they filmed existed like that. Uh, it did, however, not have a cellar. So the cellar, you yeah. see them going down... They ducked that in the first weeks, just whoever didn't have anything yeah. better to do had to do some digging and dug out just the staircase of the cellar. And when Bruce Campbell walks down and before they cut into an actual cellar where they filmed the rest somewhere else, you can see him awkwardly kind of turning, twisting yeah. under the floor. And that's because there just isn't any room and he's just like pushing himself against the wall so he disappears out of frame. <laughs> I do want to actually just say quickly on the topic of the cabin. Mm -hmm. The cabin is a lot more claustrophobic in this film than it is in the later films. Mm -hmm. Like, even in the in the remake. Like, in the remake, the cabin is much bigger 
than it is here. Yeah. Um, the cabin's really small in this film. And yeah, the claustrophobia is insane. But yeah, I, I, I was, I remember the first time I heard about it not having a cellar and then seeing the little hole that they had dug and I couldn't help but feel really bad for Bruce Campbell because yeah. he's a big guy. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to squeeze himself into this little hole for the shot. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. D- um, it's very sad actually because that cabin burned down, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, not too long after the filming of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Campbell talks about in the soundtrack, in the commentary track, he talks about someone finding the burned remains of the cabin, which is basically the chimney and the stones of that. You know? Yeah. And they stole a stone from there years after the movie took that stone to some comic event where Bruce Campbell was there and they have a sig- signed Bruce Campbell stone of the original house of the evil dead. That's fucking sick. <laughs> Somewhere Man, out there. Totally do that. <laughs> it's fantastic. One of the best memorabilia probably ever in film history. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. <laughs> also, you know none of your friends will believe you. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Everyone's like, this, gonna this, think it's fake this signature. From that cabin. And, like, yeah, yeah, sure it is, buddy. Sure it is. <laughs> you got any more uh, behind the scenes? Oh yeah, sure. Early in the movie, uh, Bruce gifts his girlfriend uh, <laughs> like a super ugly <laughs> necklace. Necklace, yeah. With, with a magnifying glass on it, and it was just for the sole reason that by the end of the movie. This should have been, you know, the the gun on the wall, basically, and he would use the magnifying glass of the necklace to burn down the Necronomicon. But they had so much time in between that and so many rewrites that it never got used. And they bought two of those ugly necklaces <sighs> because they lost the first one and they had to do some reshoots. And even in the second one, uh, they couldn't get it in the same silver so they bought the golden one which was more expensive and then they had to paint it silver and in the close-up shot where she holds it you can even see that she has some silver paint on her fingers because the silver color wouldn't hold (laughs) (laughs) which is such a fantastic detail (laughs) oh yeah you know there's there's that (laughs) moment where you know he first gifts her um, the necklace, and she's just saying like how beautiful it is and stuff, and like she'll never take it off. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you should, you yeah. should throw yeah. that away right now. Yeah, Bruce Campbell in the commentary track joked about that, like that that is a necklace you would give to a girlfriend who you wanna break up with. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong, like at all. Yep. There's a few fun things happening in the sound design. So before this movie. This group of friends did a bunch of short films for their school, and they yeah. had like uh, little screenings in in their school. And the last one they did before this was a horror short, which was already a kind of proof of concept for the Evil Dead, which is funny because it's kind of a proof of concept for Evil Dead yeah, too. Within the Woods. Yes. Um, yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Within the Woods. Yeah. And for that, they did a bunch of Foley sounds and recordings and use, reused a lot of them in The Evil Dead. Uh, for example, they used just a pencil stabbing into an apple as the sound when the pen gets stabbed into the foot of the one actress. Yeah, um, yeah. 
super creative uh, small stuff like that. But the funniest stuff about the sound design is that they stole sound design from uh, the classic movie with Orson Welles, The Third Man, yeah. where there is a long sequence where nothing happens uh, on the audio side of things, but wind going through a tunnel or something like that. And they had just that clean soundtrack of a perfect wind recording, and they used it over and over in The Evil Dead. However, they also, when sleeping uh, somewhere uh, as the crew and ready for the next shooting day, at 3 a.m. or something, Sam Raimi woke up to a fantastic like sound of wind blasting through like little cracks in the window. And he woke up their sound guy to record that for 15 minutes. And they had a fantastic track of that and also used that. And the ironic part is nowadays, you will often find in horror films the stolen recording of the Evil Dead wind sound. Whilst Evil Dead was known for having stolen wind sounds of another movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may, the wind sounds are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> They're really good. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense. No, I, I just love the full circle of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, there's, this kind of ties into one of the things you said about creating tone and being kind of creepy even without just showing clear stuff. So there's this yeah. monster shot, I guess, where just the floor rises up a bit outside and you you see like red dust coming out of there and you hear a voice just saying some weird thing and i wrote that down because on the commentary track he did a great explanation for that it's it's it says something like sam and that translates to sam and tappert are the hitchhikers on the roadside just pronounced super wrong and that's just <laughs> a joke about those two people being the hitchhikers at the early beginning of the movie that they drive by that's just the producer tappert and sam raimi and that's that's all it's to it but i just love that so much that it's kind of just a normal sentence <laughs> that's really funny lovely little hint at the audience yeah there's there's one more th one more side to this movie where I'm kind of unhappy with how things developed over time because there's this phenomenon, you know, called George Lucasing a movie when you, after years, go back for yeah. a new release and change the things after the fact and make it as if that was how it was always intended yeah. or, you know, and you can't really access the original anymore. This is a fate that also happened to this original movie. I watched a Blu-ray a Blu-ray visual side of it and listened to the original first DVD release commentary track, which they re-recorded re for later editions because they talk about some of the technical flaws of the movie that they George Lucas out of that movie, so <laughs> it didn't work anymore. Um, there's quite a few match shots so um where they you know block off parts of the frame and then double expose and block off the other part and with that way they can like insert a, for example what was the case here in this movie a big moon at the sky even though there's not a moon right there 
and those initial mat shots were a little chunky. They wobbled a bit and you could see that something is up. You could see the edges of where they taped off this, the frame basically. And there's also a shot in the beginning when they drive over the bridge where in the original yeah. you could see Sam Tappert standing in the side of the frame and accidentally being on film and they basically edited that out of it and it, it looks super chunky nowadays. If you know where to look at then you will see that something is odd. Yeah, and I wish it wasn't because like such a big part of this movie is the charm of this just being such a DIY magical little project and with all this you're kind of like you're you're bashing on history to a certain degree and and changing the facts of how things were you know it's kind of yeah, a shame i mean i'm not yeah see it always depends right on the film and i feel like this film like you said it's massively held up only for its charm you know of what it kind of just is so once you start altering you know, some of the things that give it that charm, you kind of start changing the chemistry of why the film's remembered even in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so Evil Dead, overall, uh, a true milestone in filmmaking history to me. I think it's a super important movie. I love the way it is. I still have some problems with it on, like, a more technical side with it. But, yeah, still fantastic little movie that I love to return to every now and then. I never really go back to this film specifically. Um, it's never one that I feel like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go and watch The Evil Dead from 1981 or whatever. I always opt in to choose Evil Dead 2 or even Army of Darkness, the remake, and I'll probably even add the new Evil Dead Rise for that canon. So I feel like this is the only one in the series that I won't actually just go and watch. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, even considering that Evil Dead 2 is kind of a remake anyways. Yeah. Like it's a semi-sequel, semi-remake. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only true sequel in the whole franchise is Army of Darkness, right? Yeah, true. So ratings... Even though it's my least favorite in the series, I'm still going to give it a 6 out of 10. I do think it's fantastic for what it is. It's fantastic for its time. I just think it's aged a bit poorly. And if anything, it provides a great proof of concept for the rest of the franchise. I'm pretty much there with you, just slightly higher than that. For me, it's a 7 out of 10. Still a yeah, great movie. Absolutely fair. Uh, to be fair, I actually used to have this on a 7 out of 10. It was only my recent rewatch where I bumped it down. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to our next movie, the 2013 remake, The Evil Dead, by Fede Alvarez, right? Yeah, the name I couldn't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I butchered it. Usually Bia is here to protect us of such incidents. But... Yeah, she's actually quite good at that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I butchered that name the last time I tried to pronounce that at least five times in a row. <laughs> I guess I'll just go with my opening thoughts on this film. I <laughs> think this film fucking rips. It's so good. Like, out of 
all the horror remakes that exist, I think this is the best one. I think it's really, really good. It takes every aspect of that first film and just makes it better. You know, I I think the only thing it doesn't do quite as well are the practical effects. But then again, it's not really trying to. You know, it's not trying to have that over-the-top kind of Tim Sullivan makeup look. It's trying for a more realistic approach. Well, as realistic as you can get with a story like this. And, you know, as we've already spoke about, that first film is kind of a comedy horror, but not in the same way that the others are. It, but that first film is trying to be a horror. You know, it, it's not mm-hmm. really trying to be a comedy horror. And I feel like this remake does the horror better. You know, it is just a straight-up horror film. And it's also perfectly respectful of that first film. You know, it doesn't try to stray away from the ideas too much. It's definitely just taking what's there and trying to make its own thing from them. And I think the the best example of how much love it has for that original film is the fact that they still include the tree like kind of rape scene. Mm-hmm. It's horrific in this film. Like I feel like maybe even more so than the original. But there's less kind of sexual implication in this one. It's more just kind of a strangulation and binding kind of thing. But the fact that they put that in there at all is balls. You know, they really did not need to, especially since that scene initially has so much backlash. You know, it's been known for a very long time that people don't love that scene in the first Evil Dead film. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they went for it and still remade that scene is quite incredible. I'm sad to say I am not as much in love with this as you are probably. I still think it's a pretty great remake. Like just the the act of trying to remake such an old beloved horror classic feels like a daunting task that is almost undoable. And I feel like it succeeds at that. I still have my fair share of problems with this. Similar to the original First Evil Dead. I don't think the acting here is really great either. And this time around there's no added charm of, yeah, but it's just a few boys making a movie together. (laughs) Um, it, It just felt a little off. I have some problems with the visual language uh, Fede Alvarez ended up using in this. I felt a lot of times it's either a bit bland or it's trying to homage a visual that Sam Raimi would do, but in with his own little twist and not often do those twists work for me. I think the best example for this would be Alvarez's version of the POV ghost shots, where he also has those floating through the forest and to the cabinet shots, but it's this time on some sort of motorized gimbal stabilization rig, I would assume, just from like the mov- the movement it does. 
And it, it is this weird step in between where everything is somewhat stabilized, but it still tries to do the shaky thing, and then it just ends up to me feeling like this, I don't know, unnatural, not for like, uh, you know, um, a ghost type situation, but unnatural in the way it was filmed, and it, it felt odd to me to look at. That being said, I think the all the horror stuff um, was very effective in this. I flinched quite a few times. It's a pretty extreme movie and it really has balls and it, it goes hard all the way until the end. And yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot and I was skeptical going in. Also, you know, we do have to take into account that horror isn't massively your thing. So the fact that this film can even really get its foot in the door even in that way, oh, yeah, is yeah. impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when it takes something that you do love mm -hmm. and is trying to do it again, but in kind of a slightly different way. The fact that it even got even a little bit of favor from you should speak to at least its quality. For sure, for sure. Uh, I do think like the cinematography is a lot better in this film. Um, I think, I mean, uh, just just a real quick, I think from a technical side, I would even agree that this is better filmed. I think it's it it has less creativity in the cinematography. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. However, however, I will say the f right. I'm just going to get into it. The final moments in this movie. Spoiler. Yeah, the <laughs> final moments in this movie. The the blood rain, with the chainsaw. Mm -hmm. You know, when she's like going through her head and the blood's going everywhere all over her face and it's pouring rain is fucking insane and so <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. And the best shot probably in this entire franchise. It looks crazy. When I'm thinking of great just horror visuals, that shot is one of the first ones in my head instantly. It's mm. such like a visceral image. Yeah, I, it wouldn't be up there for me. I I would probably think of of some scenes in the thing, um, maybe like the elevator doors opening in The Shining. Um, oh, obviously, it's not number one. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but it's up there, and it's that shot with you know the cabin in the background on fire. And it's raining blood. The whole thing is tinted red. And she's got the chainsaw just going through the neck. Mm -hmm. It's just mad. It's absolutely insane. It's such like a John Carpenter kind of shot. Just the composition is beautiful. I think it's incredible. I think it's so good. I wonder if, um, you know, last year, the Jordan Peele movie, Nope, you know, there's a scene that is yes. somewhat reminiscent of this, just from a different perspective. And I wonder if that's coincidence or if that is like an homage to the Evil Dead remake. You know, actually, that's not about it. I've never thought about that, but you could very well be right. Yeah, I, I just had the idea like right now. <laughs> yeah, now that you're saying that, like, I can definitely see it. I think it's really... It is really there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be shocked either because I can't remember what it is, but we did mention it before on this podcast 
No, 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 no. It wasn't even this podcast. I completely apologize. <laughs> um, it's when we was discussing Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah. Um, quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson's character wears like the UFO jacket that looks exactly like the one that Stephen Yen wears mm-hmm. in Nope. So it kind of just feels like Jordan Peele was just walking around and, you know, picking out little moments or a little, just very tiny things that he would like to just throw in there. So I really wouldn't be surprised if this was one of those things. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's the even more obvious examples of. You know, Jordan Peele even showing like one of the first moving picture recordings of the horse. Oh, yeah. And there's like the Akira slide by the end of the thing. And so there's, there's quite a few references in that movie for sure. Yeah. I've, I, I do think, uh, I do think Nope takes a lot. Well, it's not even a thought, is it? Just Nope does take a lot from previous horror, um, even if it's small, like little vignettes. So, yeah, no, you are absolutely right. I do think. I do think it could have been taken from that. Mm-hmm. I, again, like with the first one, have some issues with the writing. I feel like uh, some of the dialogue is a little clunky in a way where no one would ever talk like that, but the movie also takes yeah. itself super serious and that kind of clashes against each other. If it was in like a funny setting and people talk weird, then it works out again, you know? Like, no one talks the way people talk in Wes Anderson movies, but it's not taking itself super serious with that. Eric in this movie? Mm-hmm. The guy played by Lou Taylor Pucci, I think his name is. Um, the one that looks like fucking RJ from X. <laughs> the, <laughs> that, that character, Eric, is the dumbest motherfucker in this whole <laughs> franchise. Why does he keep reading out the book? Yeah. <laughs> Why does he? He knows. He knows. Even after he's kind of figured out that it's the book doing this, he just keeps reading from it. He's the stupidest person in this franchise. He's such a fucking idiot. Like in the first film, right? In the first Evil Dead, they find the tape recorder. They play the tape recorder. Oh no, guys were being dicks. Now there's deadites, right? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And then in Evil Dead Rise, which we'll get to again, goes down there, he finds the records, plays the tape recorder. Oh no, now there's Dead Eisen. This this guy picking up this fucking book, (laughs) what kind of God-fearing man would read anything from this book? Who would do that? And this guy should know better because he's kind of like the smart guy. Yeah. (laughs) But he's not. He's an idiot. He's so dumb. (laughs) It bothers me that he's the one that does this. (laughs) If any other character had done it, it wouldn't have bugged me too much. You know, because it could have just been played off as, oh yeah, they're just being silly or whatever. This guy is fascinated with this book. He is fascinated with it. He's studying it. He knows something's off. He knows something's wrong with it. And he still fucking reads it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. There's also uh, little parts that I, I wrote down for myself where, for example, when they go down into the basement for the first time in this movie, uh, you have that camera perspective from behind the stairs. So you see the stair bend and almost yeah. feel like this little crack. And I thought, oh, that's a 
kind of nice aesthetic, that's cool, great foreshadowing, until one character is like, oh, be careful, that stair might break. Uh, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, it's you like just, you didn't need to. Yeah, you just showed us, you didn't, didn't need to tell us as well. It's yeah, I over, get Yeah, overdone, you know. I mean, on the point of the cabin, um, they did rebuild like this entire cabin, didn't they? Like on a set, mm-hmm. um, and that's insane dedication. Yeah, for you sure. know because I, again, this points to like how much they do respect that first film because they didn't really need to do that. You know, they they could have just got the miniature because they did have a miniature to do like some of the outside shots, mm-hmm. and then they could have just built some things that relatively look like the inside of a cabin. But they really went above and beyond to build pretty much a one-for-one set that's just slightly bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, I I appreciated it. When I first saw it, I was like, it made me think for a second, like, is that the original cabin? (laughs) And then I remembered, oh, wait, no, it it couldn't have been. But yeah, I felt like the attention to detail on it is insane as well. Like, it's just, it's done pretty much as well as it could have been done. Also, um, do American family? I mean, you're not going to be able to answer this, <laughs> but do American families just have cabins? As like... the official authority on American families, I can tell you, I have no idea. <laughs> like, why do they always have something? You know, like <laughs> there's always the horror film where it's like, oh yeah, my cousin has a house up in blah blah blah, or oh yeah, my aunt has a cabin up in blah blah blah. And it's like, how? Why? Mm-hmm. Why do you always have a place somewhere? I barely have a place where I live. A movie's got a movie. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Also, I, th- I feel like one of the things that makes me really adore this film is that I just love Final Girl Horror. Mm-hmm. Like, Final Girl Horror is my shit. And I feel like that was one of the best decisions this film kind of made was to not have an Ash character because I feel like they understood from the get-go that they can't really do Ash because at that point he was too iconic. You know, Evil Dead 2 had already happened. Army of Darkness had already happened. He's too much of a character to try Mm. and just rehash into this story. So they opt in for the classic, you know, horror trope of having a final girl. Yeah, but here's the really fun thing about that. That's one of my favorite things about this movie is that she was kind of both the first and the final girl. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Great. It's yeah. great. <laughs> I think that, yeah, because I remember like, because I hadn't seen this film for a while. And yeah, when she like kind of dies or turns or whatever, I remember going, huh, I thought she survived till the end. I guess not. I guess I'm a fucking idiot. And then she came back and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, never mind. Never mind. They they sorted it out. They figured it out somehow. <laughs> they just kind of bullshitted their way to a solution. I mean, it, but, it was kind of a nice solution, you know. He, yeah, he made the whole smart. defibrillator thing, which is a reminiscent of the Evil Dead 2 building the arm montage to a degree. And then he, you know, killed her as the monster and in that moment of her just dying he revived her it's kind of beautiful and i even didn't expect the 
somewhat logical conclusion of that, but it still surprised me when she dies, she becomes the fifth person to die. And in like this interpretation, I guess, of, of the Book of the Dead, that's when the the big monster shows up, you know, once once it has taken five lives. So it's it's kind of a beautiful idea to let all of them five die just for one to come back and then face the monster her own death created. And uh, there's some foreshadowing to that as well, since early on in the movie they have that whole excuse for why they are in the cabin with the one girl being on withdrawal, basically, and uh, them talking about how she OD'd, and for a minute she was already dead before. So... Um, they already hinted that idea of yeah. being dead but re- returning. Yeah, I feel like this film just deviates enough. You know, even from the get-go, because the, the intro is completely different. Because they have the whole backstory with the girl being um, burnt in the basement. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it was great the way they did it, because it was able to stand on its own. You know, people could go and see this film, and people now can see this film without having seen the first one. Oh, yeah. You know, not everything's a wink and a nod to the first film. Mm-hmm. It completely stands on its own, and it brings its own ideas to the table. Especially that beginning, because that, that intro is crazy. Because, you know, we, we we see the girl getting, you know, tied to the post and stuff, and we, we see the book and the people. And we don't know she's a deadite. You know, she's doing the thing that Deadites do where they pretend to be people. And you're kind of like thinking, this is a fucked up situation. Like, mm-hmm. what are they doing to this girl? Like, they they kind of seem like the villains, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, the penny drops and whatever. And you're like, ah, there it is. You know, and then it kicks into the film. So I feel like this started to add a lot more depth to the Book of the Dead in its own sort of way. Like, obviously, the other films had explored it with the whole medieval thing. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, this gave the book itself, like, a mythos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely advances the whole... Yeah, it it changed the way deadites behave and stuff like that. In that original film as well, um, the deadites kind of, like, lurk. (laughs) <laughs> when they're released, they kind of stick around a little bit and then slowly <laughs> get into the bodies and then slowly yeah. take over the bodies. And then, but as soon as it goes to this film, like as soon as the deadites are out, they're in them bodies, they're trying to kill, you yeah, know, like it's straight go. to the point, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that is, you know, kind of what we associate with the deadites, you know, that's how it works in pretty much all of Evil Dead media. Mm-hmm. Um, Ash versus the Evil Dead, and in the new one as well. So yeah, I just I think it's great. I really like it. I have less to say about it because obviously it's a less revolutionary film, mm-hmm. a less important film, and has less um background to it. But I like it a lot. I have a few more things on like the Go general ideas. I like the whole beginning angle of, as I mentioned, the chunky on withdrawal. I like that she is the first to notice the demons and with her withdrawal symptoms, they have like a good, pretty good excuse up until to a certain point of her being 
you know, she's just irrational. She is. She just wants to get out of here. We can't go. Um, yeah. That works to a degree. Um, it falls apart at the certain point when they find the super bloody trapdoor and they are like, oh well. Because <laughs> 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 at that point you can't really put it on the withdrawal of one person anymore. But whatever. Comparing it directly to the original Evil Dead, I prefer the way how in the original the bridge collapsed and even the visual side of that. So for the bridge collapse of the original one, they were actually allowed to destroy a little abandoned bridge and film there, even though it kind of looks like a miniature because they filmed at night and had super little lights to actually yeah. make it visible. <laughs> but it still looks like something that is like, you know, a, a, an obstacle they can't overcome. And here it's just like the road is slightly underwater because I guess it rained a bit. <laughs> okay <laughs> it, it doesn't have the same feeling to it you know yeah but other than that i'm i'm also i don't have that much more to say on it there were a few things that really got me to me the most iconic imagery is actually probably when she looks out of the trap door in between the chains like i yeah. love that shot a lot it's really iconic as well. Yeah. yeah. And also the POV shot of that scene is pretty good. Yes. Other than that, my favorite things were probably the some of the moments that really made me flinch. So the first time that really happens is when she pushes that sludge out of her hand. Oh. Uh, that's, that's fucking horrible. The bathroom scene, can I just add? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> that scene is so fucked up. The way she cuts off her arm after yeah. it is let in. In fact, that is super horrible. And then again, the way she kind of rips out the arm under the truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn. Those, That's those some three... real John Carpenter shit that yeah, one yeah. is. Yeah, for sure. Those three all got me a lot. And I didn't expect a movie of 2013 Hollywood's horror to get me that much so lots yeah. of credit for that the, yeah it is it's a film that i think is better the more that i think about it you know like i'll watch it and I think yeah that was really good and then i'll think about it and i'm like wow no that actually is really good <laughs> and then i'll rewatch it and then i'll like it even more it's like one of those films that it just it's grown on me every single time i've seen it it's grown on me but man that final shot <laughs> it's so good also can I just say on that final shot as well because I'm just kind of staring at it right now <laughs> I think it's quite impressive how the entire shot is composed of reds but everything is so clear mm -hmm. you know you know what is happening at every point in that image yeah it's almost shot as if it is a black and white shot just with Red and white. Yeah, it's it's so like clinical mm -hmm. and perfectly executed. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to to compose that shot and still make the clarity of it really good. Mm -hmm. Have so, the yeah. right amount of wet ground to give some extra texture and stuff like that. Yeah. With little. <sighs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's a well really well done shot. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much everything I've got to say about that one. Also, um, I feel like this is a thing um, 
with the Evil Dead franchise that I, I I'd like to just point out, but I feel like the posters mm-hmm. um are a big part of the identity. Oh yeah. Of Evil Dead, you know, like it's it's of I mean, of course it is. And that first the Evil Dead poster is so iconic and brilliant. And the new but one I, is a really good addition. Yeah. Like it it works as an homage, but it is beautiful on its own. It's, it's a great just, poster. It's, it's great. I love all the posters in this franchise. And I think this Evil Dead, like the remake one, yeah, it's just... It's, it, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember um, first ever, like, truly, like, just, like, looking at it. And trying to figure out, because obviously there's just a girl, isn't it, on the cover. And you have that thing where it's like, you don't know whether that girl is a deadite or just a survivor. And it's like, it's so ambiguous in that sense. And I think it works really well because of that ambiguity. Like, we have the alternate poster where it's just the girl being, like, grabbed by all the branches and stuff, which... Oh, I actually had the alternative poster in my mind. Oh. I thought of that one as, like, the, no. the beautifully Wait. done homage. But yeah, I um, see the, the, the other one. Yeah, yeah right. that's that's the, the regular poster, yeah. And yeah, I think it just it perfectly blends the ideas of the deadites and the survivors kind of being one in the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, you know, it might have not have been purposeful, but it's just something I think of. All right. Ratings. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I'm pretty much on the same scale as the original. Um, to me, it's again a 7. Yep, absolutely fair. I can see that. Which I guess moves us on to, you know, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. 2023's Evil Dead Rise. Okay, what are your opening thoughts on it? I just watched the Evil Dead remake shortly before this for the first time, so in mm-hmm. preparation for this. And having that additional knowledge of this franchise has delivered four horror movies so far, of which I gave every single movie a seven or higher, I went in with a lot of, a lot of expectations. I... Yeah thought 10 years had have passed the praise was already again pretty well like the, the the critical response was pretty good to the new movie at that point and i heard that it should be pretty extreme again and i was here for that i i'll have to say this is my least favorite of the whole franchise wow yeah i'm not that big on this one I still think it is a good movie. I still have this as like a good horror movie in my mind. Well, yeah, I, just I would call don't you crazy think... if you thought it was No, no, bad. I, I don't think it can live up to the others. Okay. I, d- I mean, I disagree. But also, like, I feel like this film is such... Not a departure, but such a different take. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously we had the Raimi trilogy... Which feels very cohesive because, you know, it's Raimi doing a whole trilogy. Mm. And then the only one other than that is a direct remake of the first one. So this is the first film in the franchise, really, that isn't attached to anything else. 
So it's completely free to do pretty much whatever it wanted to do. With that approach, it opens itself to either being absolutely adored by fans or just not really connecting in the same way. Because it does genuinely feel kind of disconnected to the rest of the franchise. I can admit that. I think it largely is to do with, like, the setting. Yeah. Um, Because obviously they take it away from, you know, the whole cabin and the whole kind of in the middle of the woods feel. Mm -hmm. You know, because even in the medieval dead, there's a lot of it that's set in the woods. Um, Even the castle is kind of in the middle of a field in nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this takes kind of like the Scream 6 approach, where it just takes it to the city. Mm-hmm. I, was, um, I was thinking of it kind of um, making uh, the raid in the Evil Dead universe, like one, yeah. one big uh, building in, in a major city and just isolated in that kind of way. I mean, okay, oh, do you know what? Oh man, I really like this film. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to quickly get into my... um. My cinema experience of this film. Go for it. So, anybody that really knows me knows I got to, like, early bird screenings. I go to screenings at, like, 10 or 11 in the morning because there's never anybody there, right? I can always go opening day by myself. This was a film I couldn't do that with, mostly because the first screening of the day was at, like, 7 p.m. So, I went for that. Because I didn't want to wait a few days because obviously this this recording has been pushed back quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was quite urgent to go and see this film. So I was like, I need to see it as quickly as possible so I can get it done for the podcast. And I, I was just really excited to watch it. You know, I love The Evil Dead. So I went at 7 p.m. And I was in there and there wasn't that many people in there. You know, it was like me and maybe seven other people. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot to be to be fair for me. That's a lot of people for my <laughs> screening. But I was in there and by the halfway mark, I had watched everybody but one guy get scared out of the theater. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, actually in, in my screening uh, a couple also left the screening up, but only after like there's basically nothing happened so far. It was like 20 minutes in or something and they were gone. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, so there was one couple in there, which was my fa- my second favorite leaving, where they were sitting right in front of me in the two seats in front of me. And it was a moment where... Okay, so I guess spoilers, but um, when the mom's in the hallway trying to convince the little kid to let her in... Yeah. And there's that scene where she does just click the thing and then immediately, like, the hand shoots through and grabs her. Yeah. And when that happened, the, the, there was a couple in front of me and the the, the woman um, spilled her drink, spilled her drink everywhere. <laughs> and then the boyfriend looked visibly annoyed because <laughs> she had got it all over him. And then she just... Like in the sweetest voice I've ever heard come out of any grown woman, go, babe, can we leave, please? <laughs> and the guy just went, Ugh. yeah. And then, <laughs> and then they just walked out. And then after that, it was just me and this one guy. <laughs> and this guy, 
was this just big, butch, bald-headed, like, macho guy. And it got to the point in the film where the woman had the little kid and they were going to leave. You know, mm-hmm. the aunt had the, the youngest daughter and they were leaving. And as they were going through the, the, the hallway, this big butch guy just stood up and went, nope. <laughs> and, and then just left. <laughs> and it was just so fucking funny. And then I ended up having the rest of the rest of the film to myself in there. And I think that just kind of speaks to how this film is the scariest, I think, of all the Evil Dead films. Like on pure scare factor, I think I think nothing else even really comes close. That's um, that's interesting because it didn't get me as much as Evil Dead Two or or even the remake. Um, I I was kind of disappointed in like the gore and scare part of it, and because I heard all of this about the walkouts, and for some reason this just didn't take me. I feel like a a big problem with this might be the inclusion of the little girl like on paper i would think that could be awesome but with the knowledge of hollywood being so freaking afraid of killing a kid in a horror movie i just never had the feeling that she was ever in danger and truth be told until the end she wasn't in danger and she survived so i wasn't you know if the movie would have gone that extra step and killed the child, <laughs> then I would have been shocked. <laughs> I would have been sitting in my seat and been, I would have been flashed, but it just doesn't. And it just fully fulfilled my expectation of, yeah, that kid isn't in any danger at all. I would have respected it so hard if they killed that little girl. Yeah. I would have loved it. I truly would have. I would have thought it was so sick. But yeah, you are right. They don't. But the gore absolutely works for me the intro to this film is i fucking love the like the title drop by the way is beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the best i love the intro yeah yeah i think it might be tied with the end of evil dead um with one of the best like composed shots in the franchise the title drop is gorgeous yeah but when she just and even before that the sculpting that was yeah. the best gore of the whole movie. But it comes in like after three minutes and then nothing ever lifts up to that for me. <laughs> I had like literally the the second the second note I have. But by the way, the, the first one's not even really to do with the film. It just says I hate so much the new Warner Bros. logo. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the second the second note I have is ripped her scalp off. God fucking damn. Like It's so brutal. Like, fucking hell. Like, it kind of just comes out of nowhere. You know, like, she has her hair and you're like, uh... And then she just takes the head off. Like, the whole scalp just comes off. I'm like, Mm -hmm. fucking hell. Yeah, no, it's brutal. Yeah, that first moment worked pretty well. When we see the sculpt people again, I thought it looked odd. You could see that it was just, like paint glued to the scalp hair yeah. you could you could make out that the hair is still all there they didn't like 
<laughs> they didn't make her balls to really put paint on it, but it was just paint put on top of her hair and it looked a little, a little odd. But just the scene itself was super effective. Definitely. Also, yeah, I think I love the way they set up the film because that goes to a cabin in the woods, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So it kind of, if you hadn't seen any promotional material, you would go into it thinking that's where the movie is being set. And I love that they do like the little Raimi homage with the camera because they do it with a drone, don't they? Um, the guy's flying a drone <laughs> through the woods <laughs> yep. and it's doing like a Raimi camera movement, but again, it's just a drone, which yeah. I feel like also speaks to how much we've come in filmmaking because if someone was going to do one of those traveling shots that's in the original The Evil Dead, they would just probably do it with a drone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, I feel like it's just a, a fun little nod to Raimi, which, you know, I always love. And I feel like this, this is one of those franchises that is just so respectful of itself. This and, like, Scream just feel like they love being in that franchise. Whereas, you know, films like in the Halloween franchise or the Jason, um, Friday the 13th um, franchise, it just feels like, you know, they're, they're just taking source material and doing whatever. They don't really give a shit about the other films in the franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have not completed either of those franchises, so I can't don't. really comment on it. <laughs> I tell you, don't. It's not worth it. Just don't do it. But yeah, I, just, I, it, I do have questions. Mm -hmm. Like... The whole bank thing under the building. Okay, I'm fine. I can be sold on that. Mm -hmm. But I just, I want to know how the book got there. You know? And the records. Like, they kind of semi-explain it, but then they kind of don't. I mean, at all. I, I didn't have a lot of problems with that. I just took it as, yeah, the best safe in town was probably once this bank safe there. And if you want to put it away for good and that nobody can get to it, then getting that safe to do it is probably a pretty good reason. So I just took it as that. I wanted them to, I wanted them to do a link tie-in with the rest of the franchise, at least the original trilogy, where Ash was the one that put it into the, um, the bank. Oh. I wanted that to be a thing, you know, because obviously the bank isn't that old. Mm-hmm. So it's very plausible that it could have been around in the 80s or 90s. Sure, sure. Um, so I wanted uh, Ash to have been the one to put that there. But, you know, in his typical fashion, he just forgot. You know, that's kind of like a thing that he would do. <laughs> you know, he would just forgot where he put the Book of the Dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I wanted that to be a thing. Because Bruce does get a cameo, doesn't he, in this film? He's on one of the records that gets played. Yeah. Is one of the voices on the records. So they were thinking, at least, of the earlier films. Oh, for sure. For um, sure. In a way. So yeah, I just thought that would have been an, a neat, like, little idea to just throw in there. You know, like, when they're going through, like, the stuff in the vault, they could have just been like, yeah, the records and the book, but then there could just be, like, a stupid, like, little Polaroid selfie kind of of bruce campbell or just like a weird like little porn collection just something <laughs> like little funny to hint at like oh ash has been here yeah you know yeah just a little character nod would have been cool you know it didn't have to be like a whole hey look ash is blah 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 you know just like 
one little item in there that hinted that Ash has been here and he's the one that put it in um, this safe. Um, also, I feel like even though we didn't mention that intro is at a cabin, mm-hmm. I feel like they should have at least maybe did the original cabin. Yeah, or tie it in in any way other than that. Like have I don't know the last character surviving there be somehow linked to the later thing. I thought it was a little too random the intro and how it had absolutely nothing to do with the later thing because it's not even at the same place or something. But you know it it's fine. It it works. I just wish they did a bit more. Speaking on the changes. On paper, I like the idea of uh, spicing up the location and using like the city to give different scenarios. Yeah. I am not sure how much they actually used those poly- possibilities in this movie. Like For the most part, it might as well have been a cabin again when they are just in the apartment and you know the monster is knocking at the door and <laughs> pretty much nothing has changed, you know? It's, it gets a little better with like the elevator later on where we even get that little shining reference of the blood coming yeah, out of the elevator. Yeah, I loved that shining reference. Yeah, I liked that one as well. I was waiting for it as well. It's like one that you were anticipating to see if they was going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it kind of feels like, oh, okay, we've got an elevator here. Okay, yeah, yeah. they're and filling it up with blood. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's building up to it. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And yeah, they do it. Mm-hmm. Um... I like the idea of mixing it up a, a bit with the vinyl records and oh, the little yeah. boy being like a wannabe DJ. Um, yeah. That was kind of fun. I do, however, not really like or understand the necessity for that phone call from hell. Like when that one character is, is like possessed, her real self calls through a phone for some reason right yeah no and, I get you, yeah. and it was like why and <laughs> it, it it has basically no relation to anything that is established in the universe and yeah that that was a bit random to your point about the whole it, sh- it might as well have been at a cabin i feel like they were at like a weirdly difficult situation because i don't think they could do the cabin again you know Mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been a bit too much to do another Evil Dead film set at the cabin in the woods. Yeah, well, you would need a good justification, or if you put it somewhere else. I, I like the idea of putting it somewhere else. It's really not that. I think it's the... They just didn't use the potential of that enough. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say, but the problem also is when you take it to somewhere else, say the city... The films don't really work that well unless there's like a claustrophobic nature to it. Mm-hmm. The only one that really works is Army of Darkness, which I think you really need someone like Sam Raimi to pull off. Yeah. You know, I I feel like at the true core, if you want a straight up horror film with the Deadites, this needs to have a claustrophobic nature to it so they need to take it to somewhere else but they also need to make it as claustrophobic as the cabin Mm -hmm. so what they ended up doing was taking it to you know an apartment complex but then cutting off the city yeah i i get that 
but there's even examples of kind of that situation being the case and they use it well so on like an action side of things you have die hard which com takes place completely in such a scenario and feels very claustrophobic but it makes use with many different ideas of like yeah there's this vacant floor and there's these different floors where he can trick something with the elevator and you know he, they play with the location they use it um, well yeah in a similar I... fashion um wreck the portuguese or spanish i think spanish yeah, um, spanish yeah. zombie movie uh, also takes place only in one apartment building in a bigger city and they really make use of that i didn't feel like this movie made use of that that's my issue with it i do think it does but i also think it could have done more like i do have a note saying like i wish we got to explore like the other apartments mm -hmm. um a bit more i feel like it would have been an easy way to do that as well like because it's one apartment building so all the apartments it's within the reasonable you know thinking that they all have the same layout so all they would have to do is switch the decoration of the set oh yeah sure you know to explore each different um and i feel like that would have also gave each character just a bit more character mm -hmm. even without having to give them more lines or screen time yeah just taking it to their apartment exactly having yeah. their world as a setting gives them more depth instantly you know like the teenage boy that we see like three times mm -hmm. if we had like just seen his bedroom at one point you know and he had a bunch of posters of like 90s rap artists it adds just a little bit more depth to him mm -hmm. you know like he has more of a personality he likes things so obviously when things happen to him it hurts just a bit more yeah um, we can we can uh relate in some relate way. to him more yeah sure. yeah and I, I wish they had done that but i do think i do think they made decent advantage of what they had you know they did do the car park um yeah the brief stint in in the bank which i w i i thought they were going to bring back mm -hmm. i did think they was going to end up going back to the bank but you know they don't um but yeah they do have the bank and the the parking garage they do do um the apartment and the hallway but yeah i feel like if they had just either gone back to the bank or showed the other apartments to give the characters more depth or even just have followed her into the vents or done a bit more with the vents yeah um kind of by the way that vent shit fucked me up <laughs> i like because at this point this is i'm I, i'm pretty sure i was alone in the theater when she went into the vents um sus <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> so fucking stupid <laughs> oh <laughs> Oh, stupid. So Mom vented. <laughs> yeah, but no. When she first went in there, mm -hmm. I remember audibly going, fuck. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, just instantly that, like, she's going into the unknown. You know, mm. at least when she was in the, the hallway, we could see her. You know, we knew where she was at least. We don't know where she's going in these vents. We just know she is somewhere above. And I thought that was like a really good piece of horror um, to just add in. Mm -hmm. And they brought it up very early. And I think very subtly, like, because obviously the cat's in the vents. 
And when they first mentioned that, I I didn't think any of it. I just thought like it was a weird like little quirk thing. I thought like they, they were bringing it up so the cat would come back at some point, mm-hmm. not specifically the vents that the cat was in. Yeah. And yeah, I felt I felt like they did that very well. I also I think, think they. Mm-hmm. Oh, go. On. I think it's also one of the more tasteful, um, somewhat, you know, um, homages to horror history. I feel like it it has to be in some relation to Alien, with yes, uh, the yeah. alien constantly running around the vent system, and yeah. you don't really know where it is, and the the horror coming from that, and um, yeah, the, this one and the Shining um, homage really worked for me. I wasn't that big on the exorcists and the thing homages they also put in there somehow, but it, yeah, it's I fine. mean there were so many homages in it. I mean, you know, they had the shotgun and chainsaw as well mm-hmm. get brought up from the actual Evil Dead series. Yeah. I think also how they expanded upon the lore of everything was very nice. Like I feel like the book gets utilized much better in this film than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the way the book details the process is much more highlighted than it was before. Yeah. And the actual like purpose of the book is made more clear. You know, like cuz before it's kind of ambiguous of what the book kind of does or where it's from and all this. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like this film explores the book a bit more, and I, I was a big fan of that because obviously I have a I have a lot of thoughts about the book, you know, I have a lot of questions, and I'm very glad it was able to answer some of those questions. I know the Evil Dead is obviously a very much Sam Raimi like thing, mm-hmm. so his techniques are everywhere. You know, they spill over even into the films that he hasn't done. Especially yeah. into the show that he didn't do, except for like the first episode. You know, it's mm-hmm. it everything is at least a little bit trying to be Raimi. Yeah, be Raimi, at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this film does do that, obviously. But it also kind of finds its own visual style. Yeah. I even um, have one of my few notes on this movie is that this has a more distinctive and consistent style even though it is not quite the Sam Raimi style, (laughs) you know? Um, Because that's one thing I complained about the remake, that it tries to be like its own version of Raimi and doesn't succeed. I feel like this movie did a way better job at that. Yeah, it definitely has its own identity. Yeah. And there is some fucking insane split diopter shots Mm -hmm. in this film. It takes a massive, like dive into the split diopter shots and i think they're some of the best ones i've ever really seen i feel like um lee cronin the guy that directed this really understands the point of them split diopter shots have always made me feel like uneasy oh yeah even in like normal films when they're used they always just kind of make me feel uncomfortable because it's playing with the depth of field and everything and it just it doesn't feel right it's like it's the uncanny valley un- of yeah it's a very unnatural sight to have because you wouldn't ever experience such a thing with your own eyes yeah so yeah i'm never never been a fan never been a fan of the split diopter shot i always think it's super unnatural 
And I think I think the fact that Lee Cronin has used those shots for that very purpose. You know, I feel like he understands that they are a very unnatural um lens to look through. Mm-hmm. Especially that first one when the mother's in the kitchen and she's, you know, cracking eggs and stuff into the pan and she's whipping up some omelets. Just that sh- that shot of her talking and then in the background is the kids is so ugh. Mm. You know, like it's really uneasy. Massively uneasy. And I've, I've, yeah, I just, I love the visual identity of this film. There's some really good shots in this film. Like when she first comes out of the, out of the bath and she's on the ceiling and she does that fucking scream. Um, mm-hmm. The big trailer shot. Yeah. So it's a great shot. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely feels like it was made for trailer purpose. <laughs> yeah. But also, agree. like, I get it. It does look sick, you know, like I would also if I watched this film and I was a producer, I'm like, yeah, that's going in all the promotional material that might even be the poster like that is a it's a fucking great shot. Mm-hmm. And also just that line delivery, because the woman playing the mom, I I can't remember her name and I should probably Google that right now. Um, Alyssa Sutherland. She's fantastic. She was really good. She's easily the highlight of the entire film. And just that one, that one line delivery of when she's like, um, mommy's with the maggots now. Mm-hmm. Oof, it's just, it's really, really evil dead. You know, that's such a deadite line. Yeah, it's almost a return to like, as you pointed out earlier, the way the, the, <laughs> the deadite um, die in the first evil dead, where they are like dissolving yeah. into those maggot kind of things. And I would just like to say as well, the makeup for this film, I super love. Yep, it was great. I'm very much in love with uh, the makeup of this film, especially on the mother character. She looks bonkers. But I will say the teenage deadites are infinitely less scary. Mm-hmm. Whenever they were like the main threat of the scene, I wasn't really feeling it. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel tense at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's to do with the performances. And obviously there's only so much you can really do because they are child actors. You know, you can't expect them to pull out an incredible performance, you know, for some undead creatures. And I feel like in a vacuum, their performances actually play very well. But when it's right next to Alyssa Sutherland's performance, exactly, yeah, it doesn't work as well mm-hmm. because she, you know, she's on that fisheye lens just outside the door, <laughs> and that's all she's got. She's got one still shot, and she is giving it everything. The rent is due, and she is giving it absolutely <laughs> everything she could possibly give it. And then it cuts to like the other ones, and they're just kind of trying to do a similar thing and it it doesn't work as well Mm -hmm. can't really live up to it yeah no so i feel like my main takeaway is that Alyssa sutherland is fucking fantastic and probably the best deadite performance in the franchise yeah i would probably agree with that yep yeah i i can't i can't really think of another performance of someone that is a deadite that is on the same 
visceral level of actual threat and fear. You know, like, she actually made me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And she actually felt like a threat, which deadites don't often do. They feel like scary comedy bits. You know, like, yeah, it's comedy horror. And for that, they never feel like massive threats, especially in something like Army of Darkness, where they kind of just become cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. You know, um, kind of like Walking Dead zombies. Just stuff that you just, they're there to run through. They're there to be a mass of zombies and not yeah. a character, per se. Yeah. yeah, to be just absolute, something that's there to be brutalized. I mean, even at the end of Evil Dead 2013, mm-hmm. um, that last Dead Eye is pretty fucking shocking. Yeah. And it, it's very much coming after you trying to kill you, saying some mad stuff. But this one just feels like a character. For sure. And, um, I mean, that's the thing as well. Like, if you look at the poster for Evil Dead Rise, Mm -hmm. she's the focus of it. And I feel like this is the first Evil Dead film where the deadite is the focus. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like is a pretty refreshing way um, to renew the franchise as well. So yeah, no, I just, yeah, I think it's great. Also, as is with many horror films, there is absolutely no rational way to explain this to the police. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just everyone is dead. Yep. Everyone is dead and in brutal fucking ways. Mm-hmm. Except for you and this child. Mm-hmm. D- what are you going to do? <laughs> There's no way they get away with this. It's a good job they just cut the cameras off because this film would actually end with them in jail. Yeah, it's it's kind of the, uh, again, bringing up Jordan Peele, the Get Out ending, or at least the alternative ending. I don't know if you're aware. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like the whole elevator meat puppet thing. It's, br- it's like their version of like the the tree assault scene, you know? Yeah, they're yeah, yeah, they're trying to do an homage to that, but in a more, well, you know, city centered way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the whole elevator meat puppet thing is fucking brilliant, and I just really liked how it looped back around because obviously, the intro to the film kind of just feels like a cold open. Yeah, you know, it feels very disconnected from the rest of the from the rest of the film. Yeah, and then it comes back around. And then you realize, like, oh, no, it's just looped exactly round. So that's, you know, that intro was actually kind of the uh, the sequel to the film, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I like the homage of the, the deadite traveling towards her in the Sam Raimi fashion to, like, get the girl at the end. Yeah. Which is just akin to the first Evil Dead. You know, when you think it's all over. And then the camera and then, starts moving again. Yeah, the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it attacks Ash at the very end. Little, so yeah, I, just, little, I think um, it's great. Easter egg, or like little trivia to that original shot where it attacks Ash at the end, in the first yeah. one. Um, that was filmed with Sam Raimi mounting a camera to a bicycle, and he just straight Ooh. up drove into Ash. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Crashed I, I've, into I've him. I've heard them, because I was watching a lot of the... Um, the promotional material for this afterwards 
because I made a video on it for my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was watching a lot of interviews for it, and there was a moment where Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were in an interview for this, because obviously they're producers. Yeah, yeah. And they were talking about that original film, because I, I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes of this film, but there's a lot of like impressive like wire work and practical stunts and stuff that they did. And they were talking about that, and then it was funny with Bruce Campbell just thinking like, oh yeah, back when we was filming the originals though, stunt work wasn't really a thing. You know, Sam Raimi would just come and hit me with a bicycle. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, or there was no way to pad a wall. You know, like I am yeah. just throwing myself against a wall. That's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's not acting at this point. I am just hitting my head off a wall. Yeah, it's just super funny, like the contrast between how far we've come with, you know, practical stunts and stuff like that to the botched job that the originals were. Even being said that this is my least favorite run. I think it's kind of fantastic that a fifth movie in a horror franchise can still be this good. Like, Yeah, you know? I think this and Scream are the most consistent horror franchises ever. You know, and I think this might just be, because this might be actually sacrilegion for me, because Scream is my absolute shit, but... And I recently did a movie film franchise madness bracket. And at a certain point, Evil Dead and Scream do actually go head to head and I advance Scream instead of <laughs> Evil Dead. Um, but that's just because I personally love Scream just a bit more. Yeah, but you got to overthrow it. But I do it. think... <laughs> but yeah, I do think Evil Dead is more consistent mm. because, you know, Scream has Scream 3, which I don't know if you've seen through those films. Scream 3 is not the best. It's good, it's fine. But it's just not on the level of the others. I have only Whereas ever I seen feel the like... first two, so <laughs> I yeah. got a lot of lot of catching up to do with horror. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Evil Dead manages to stay at a consistently good level that it never dips below. Mm-hmm. You know, it it it's never gone below that first film for me. And I know this is the bottom one for you, but like where you have this one, I assume is where I have the original one anyway. Yeah. So that's even. Fair. Yeah are comparatively different um, bottoms, the bottom of that list is still same rating, on the same yeah. level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it makes sense. I, I, just, I just feel like Evil Dead is crazily consistent. Also, before we get to ratings, um, what's your favorite Evil Dead poster? Yeah, it might be Army of Darkness. Yeah, no, I think it is as well. I don't even think it's close, if I'm being it's honest. It's very iconic. Like, the first one, <laughs> the first one's more iconic, I think, but this one is, it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's either the it's first one incredible. or this one. Yeah. But yeah, I do feel like Evil Dead Rise does have um, the worst poster in the franchise. Yeah, I'd say so um, as well. I don't think it's bad. I wouldn't say it's an awful poster. I mean, it's not a floating head poster for no. one, and I do think it is very important that the dead eye is the focus of it mm-hmm. which is what the you know the film is trying to sell you on the mother character is kind of the main character so i think it's a very good poster to be honest i think it is a fantastic poster but just in the long line of evil dead posters it is probably at the bottom speaking of marketing one more thing i could go into is how did you feel about the whole cheese grater scene cheese grater Oh, right. 
because in um, pre to the prior to this movie there was like a lot of viral marketing about the cheese grater and just that cheese grater emoji was like trending everywhere basically as like a running joke and i uh, i kind of expected some horrible thing just like from knowing of that viral marketing and the idea of cheese grater in my mind but it's like a one second thing and it's over again before it even starts and i was like oh oh okay i guess <laughs> yeah i i didn't even really notice it when i watched the film yeah um i because you know um me i don't really consume marketing before seeing a film i try my best to avoid it all mm -hmm. um trailers posters all that kind of stuff so i didn't know of its significance and then I watched the film and then there was that one quick, you know, blink and you'll miss it shot of the cheese grater. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, oh, that was a cool idea. I wish they did a bit more. Yeah. Like they could have yeah. drawn that out, you know, like a slow grate mm -hmm. or something. And then like the, the flesh comes out like grated cheese at yeah, the bottom a, or something. A real, I thought, like, a, you could do a yeah. close up of it and just of like a, a prosthetic ripping off some, uh, scraping off some actual flesh. And it, it could be a really fantastic yeah. thing. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea, but they didn't do it, so I yeah. just, you know, kept it moving or whatever. And then when I finished, and I was doing my video on it and stuff, and I was watching all the promotional material, and I was reading what people were thinking about it, and I, I started to see more and more people talking about this cheese grater thing. And at, at the beginning, like, I forgot what they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to go and remind myself what the fuck they were talking about, and I was like, oh, that. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you had the same wasn't... reaction just in the reverse order that I had. I was sitting in yeah. the cinema and it was like, I just saw the cheese grater and she took it and I was like, oh, it's coming up and then it's over. And I was like, oh. I feel like the way people spoke about the cheese grater moment is how they should have been talking about the scalp moment. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I saw no one talking about that and I was like, it's probably the best moment in the film. Yeah. And which is not that fantastic for the pacing since it's like three minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Still. Yeah. But yeah. Sets the bar high. Mm -hmm. Characters in this film don't get rewarded for being smart, and I think that's very sad. <laughs> um, because the boy, obviously, he ties up his sister, doesn't he? Like, he bags her and ties her up on the bed mm -hmm. so she can't escape. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, finally. Someone gets it. <laughs> like, that was a really fucking smart thing to do. And then just in the next scene, she's just untied. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't show you how she gets untied or anything. She's just untied. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck, man? Yeah. And then obviously he gets got. But. Mm. And I just thought it was kind of fucked up that they killed the only guy that did anything smart. <laughs> and not the child. <laughs> oh, I want more. That Kill the kids. <laughs> why? Okay. So why did the kids leave the little girl by herself? One, that was so dumb. And then two, why is this little girl letting the mom in? Look, I know there's got to be some reasonable doubt because she's a child. Yeah. Okay. But she has seen her mom do horrific shit up until this point. Okay. I don't believe for a second this kid is letting that woman in. Mm. And the fact that she does, and she had enough time to do it. No one was checking on her. Here's the thing. Fucking annoyed me. Here's the thing. I think that scene could have worked if we had established the characters better early on. If we have a really yeah. well-developed 
character dynamic between that child and the mother and the mother and we yeah. loved them both and we loved their relationship then in that moment where she pretends to be nice again and it's all over that would have you absolutely, absolutely right but since that foundation isn't there it falls flat also she sings a song doesn't she that gets the girl's attention mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't remember whether she had sung that song to the girl before, but I don't think she did. Yeah, I don't think either. Um, so even if they had that little scene of just her singing that song mm-hmm. to the girl at some point, yeah. and then to loop it back around, maybe. Exactly. Um, Stuff but like yeah, that. they don't. So I don't think it. I don't think it works too much. So although I do think the film is fantastic, I do think there's a lot of missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's that's probably the best way to put it. So yeah, uh, I guess ratings. Yeah, this is a 6 out of 10 for me. Yeah, so that's exactly what I had the first Evil Dead on, so yeah, we yeah. were correct in that <laughs> assumption. Um, and I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Alright. Okay, and with those ratings, I guess that's the end of today's discussion, where we discuss everything Evil Dead. I do wish we got to go to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, which we might in the future on a different episode, but for now... That'll do. So, next episode, we'll be talking both Spider-Verse movies, which are notable for their distinct style and revolutionary animation, Into the Spider-Verse being my personal favourite movie of all time. So, I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys listening and with uh, George and Beer. Additionally, we're going to discuss the 2002 released Treasure Planet. It was one of the last milestones in Disney's 2D animation era and nowadays feels like a precursor to where Spider-Verse eventually would head to. If you don't want to get spoiled for these movies, check them out by the next episodes. I'm George. I'm Chris. And you were listening to 2 Euros Per Movie.